0: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's B2B Better, where we aim to answer the question, what does modern day B2B marketing look like? We've got a special interview for you today, a live recording I did at SaaS Stock in Dublin a few weeks back on the podcast stage with Nathan Latka. Nathan is the host of the incredibly popular podcast, SaaS Interviews with CEO Startups and Founders, and he himself is also the CEO of FounderPath. We talked about his journey to create a show that's now listened to by millions of SaaS professionals across the globe, how he creates a differentiated point of view, and why sometimes it's a good idea to make people dislike you. This is the first of two interviews I did at SaaS Talk. Next week, we'll bring you the recording of my chat with Megan Keeney Anderson, VP of marketing at Jasper. But until then, here's Nathan. Testing, cool. Can everyone hear us okay? Thumbs up, thumbs up. Awesome. All right, strap yourselves in everybody. Um, I gotta say a huge, first a huge thank you, to Nathan, because this is a last minute inclusion to the SaaS stock agenda. Uh, I think I reached out to you and your team 24 hours ago saying, hey, do you wanna come onto the podcast stage with me? And you were like, absolutely. And here we are. So thank you very much. No, thanks for, I said, I said, I will do it, but you
1: have to ask me tough questions, ask me for all the numbers and don't ask me any fluffy stuff. And Jason said,
0: I can do that. I think I can do that, but I'm British, so like you know, we are naturally quite like you know, uh, placid. I would say so. If anyone has any tough questions for Nathan, do hold your hands up, and I will run a microphone over to you, and you can ask them yourself. That'd be
1: amazing. Great.
0: So for those of you who don't know, uh, for those in the audience who don't know who you are, why don't you give everyone a quick introduction on Nathan Lacker? Uh,
1: Software company early on, sold it, uh, made a lot of mistakes, wanted to learn more. No founders would respond to my emails for coffee. So I said, let me invite them to a podcast. And everyone responded. So then I got into the podcast world. And then I'm like, I don't want a small podcast. I like big things. So how to get more downloads. So you got to make your podcast stand out. Uh, So I said, how to make people love me or hate me really, really quick. And so that's my goal on the podcast is I want you to love me or hate me really, really. I don't care which one it is. It just has to be one. So so raise your hand if you're lovers. (laughs) Who's the hater? Come on. Ah, Mandy. (laughs) Uh, It's not for everyone, but it's a lot of fun. And then uh, in the podcast, right around 2018, a lot of founders started asking um, if I could help them raise debt. And I knew nothing about debt at that. I didn't even know what it meant. So I went out and started helping founders get with other debt providers, like Lighter Capital, Tamaya, Espresso, SVB, and then watched how those founders paid back that money. And I listened to what they liked or disliked about the paper. And I said, there's got to be a better way. So the same way YC invented a safe. We invented this sort of what we call a receivables purchase agreement. It's basically factoring, but really simplified. And so that's when FounderPath launched in 2020. Um, I put out my own money first, then we launched the fund, then we built the team. And so now we're growing that. Um, and now I'm like I, don't know if, like, I don't know if I wear a suit to these things because I need the bankers to love me to give me cheap money or, or a black T-shirt so that the bootstrappers, st- you know, bootstrappers look at this and go, who the hell is this guy? You know, and this Gucci stuff, you know what I mean? So it is what it is.
0: So you said there a moment ago that you didn't really care if people loved you or hated you, you just wanted them to do either. What would you say is like the ratio of love and hate? Um, It depends on every episode. So
1: what happens is when somebody books to come on the show, I can very quickly tell if they have a big ego or not based off how long the bio is they give me. Big egos, long bio. Small egos, two words. Um, And so if someone's got a really big ego, almost always I know my audience will be rooting for me to destroy the founder, right? Small bio, almost always, uh, the I will be too tough, and the audience will root for the founder, and they'll be thinking, Nathan, that's too tough, that's too tough, so, and it's usually the VC-backed ones that are PR-trained that send me like the three-page long bios ahead of the call, so I don't care which one it is, but I would probably say on any given episode, it's a probably pretty fair split 50-50.
0: I mean, for people to quote unquote, hate you, and I mean like hate's a really strong word, but we're using it as proxy in this conversation. So for people to hate you, it means that you've got to have an opinion. And I think that's something that kind of founders or content creators really struggle to do is to formulate an opinion that's interesting enough. It's gonna evoke that reaction of, I don't really agree with that person and I'm gonna tell them about it. So like, was that something that you knew like right from the start, I wanna go in hard and I wanna evoke that reaction or was it something that evolved over time?
1: Um, I didn't wanna be ignored. Um, so when I launched the show in 2017, everyone had an interview show, like everybody, right? And people today, they're launching new shows. And so I said, well, what shows do I like? And what do I hate? Well, I liked Tim Ferriss's content, but I didn't have time to watch a three hour podcast. So that's why we're 15 minutes on the flip side. I really didn't like entrepreneur on fire because I liked the length. It was short 15 minutes, but John's great guy, but he asked questions like, what was your biggest failure? And the founder gives some bullshit answer that actually makes them look really good. So I said, I want a short podcast that's really aggressive. And so my show is successful for me personally. My own, I view it as successful is literally the number number of numbers I get out of a founder per minute. The higher that is, the better the show. And that's how I operate. And you have to have
0: quite a thick skin to deal with, I'm sure, the flack that you do receive from more of those hard-hitting episodes. Is that something that you feel like? you just naturally were born with, or you are born with, or is it something that you feel develops over time? Um, this is physics. It's as simple as atoms and
1: time. If you guys study physics, you know that every, one of the things is every, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So if nothing is reacting to you, you must not be acting aggressively. You actually, I mean, my biggest problem right now, the reason the show's not growing faster is my enemies are idiots. I need better enemies so that they can hit me harder so that I can react stronger and then everyone watches the game. It's like a Super Bowl and the championship, you wanna have a team. And so I have, I admit, I have actually made my own enemies on purpose. Um, I have had people use, and I've planted them very negative headlines about myself so that I can then react to them because that's what people care about. When I say I want people to hate me, what I really mean is most humans, their condition is that they don't go around talking about what they love this morning. They don't come to SAS and say, it's gonna be a wonderful day and the sun's shining. they go, it's fucking cold. The coffee line is 30 people deep. I had a wet tuna sandwich for lunch. People like complaining. So I try and give people something to complain about because then it's free marketing. They still listen. That's all I care about. So, So, you know, the lesson there is like, who is your enemy? And if you don't have one, you might not stand for anything that's really bad. You really need to know who an enemy is, right? But you don't have to be, when I say enemy, I don't mean like US politicians enemy, right? You don't have to degrade people and put people down. Your enemy can be an idea. And then you just need to go find the company or the group that embodies that
0: idea. And that is your enemy that you're reacting to. Do you have any advice for finding that enemy or formulating that enemy? Where, where do you go find, find that person or idea or concept?
1: I don't know that I have a good answer to that. Um, I would generally say, though, if you take whatever it is that you do or you believe in and just make it extra extreme, like just add a little juju to it, you'll find someone that reacts. You know, look in your negative comments on your YouTube videos, look in your support channels for negative feedback. That's Those are good places to try and find something that stands against you or go launch the competitor. See, the whole thing here is... you attention, you have to get the attention. So if you own both sides of the equation and then they battle, you still win, right? That would be like the NFL. You're not an NFL team, but you own the rugby league and then there's teams in the league. You could also own the league, right? And then have the teams, but that's important to set up.
0: Let's talk a little bit then about the growth of the podcast. Cause you've been doing it for a number of years now, uh, on your LinkedIn profile, it says 11 million downloads. Uh, is that still the right figure? Has it grown since then? Talk to me a little bit about the numbers.
1: I don't know about you guys. When was the last time we updated our LinkedIn profiles? Probably a while ago. I think I still have a baby face with, like, no facial hair on my LinkedIn. (laughs) Um, That was a while ago. Yeah, we're up to about 25 million downloads. Um, Each episode gets 20,000 downloads in the first, call it, two weeks that it's live. Um, But it's a lot like blog posts. You know, when you have 3,300 episodes live, well, 3,000 of them will get three downloads a day. Well, right there is is just long tail, right? So the thing about podcasts, a lot of people get excited. They see maybe what I do. They hear this interview right now, and they go, I want to go launch a podcast. The problem is is most podcasts fail because they don't have a setup that attracts attention, that's one. And two, the host isn't committed to doing it long-term even if nobody listens. So you've gotta make a commitment to create momentum. You know, I will record 100 episodes over the next two years and release them every Tuesday even if nobody listens um, because you only start to get momentum after a while. So that's important.
0: Hey, it's me again. If you're thinking about launching a podcast to help you win new clients, better activate in-person events, conduct customer research or build brand awareness, you're in luck. You can book 60 minutes with me to brainstorm what it will take to get started. No commitment, no charge. Simply visit www.b2b-better.com forward slash podcast assessment. There's also a link in the description of this episode. Now back to the show. Is downloads the only measure of success when it comes to your podcast or are you looking at other milestones as well?
1: No, there's a, what I would say though is the world's perception of podcasts is that the ones with the most downloads, it must be a better show. But if I had, if I had a podcast with only 100 listeners, but all the listeners were billionaires, a great show. Uh, I love that show. I would do that show in two seconds. Only 100 downloads. So it's way more about obviously quality, but the problem is, is like when I'm inviting a new speaker to come on, If I said I have a hundred downloads, they're gonna be like, I'm not gonna come on the show. It's not interesting, right? But if I told someone I've got 20,000 downloads per episode, then they come on. So it's sort of a balancing act.
0: And can you talk a little bit about how you secured those very first guests onto your podcast? Because, you know, I help companies launch their own podcasts and one of their biggest reservations is who the hell's gonna wanna talk to us, right? Right from a cold start, particularly if that uh, host or the brand doesn't have a huge amount of brand awareness. So like how you go about getting those first guests?
1: you got to believe in yourself and you've got to say it strongly. And what I mean by that is when I decided I wanted to, to launch the show, it was may, maybe in uh, like March. And so my cold email to my first guest, I said the show will have 100,000 downloads by the end of the summer. You know, they probably saw or heard the show has 100,000 downloads, but I just believed in myself. It's the same way I got people to buy the book early. I said it's going to be a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And then what people hear is it's a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Um, A lot of people really, really don't like putting out big, bold, public statements like that, especially PR teams for big companies, because then if you miss it, you're like, oh, what do we do? We missed it. You got to lean into that fear a little bit. So we projected that confidence. I pre-recorded 40 episodes before releasing any one, and then I emailed off 40 uh, when I was going to launch, and I basically said, I'm only going to publish on launch day the 10 founders who email their lists about the show, and then everyone else I released later. So everyone that wanted to be released on day one emailed us, we had about 3.2 million emails, none of which were emails from my list that I built, going out marketing the show.
0: So you're at 25 million
1: downloads as it stands Do today. we like that strategy, by the way, or is that bullshit? We can clap a little bit here as so people go, what are these people clapping about? Yeah, this is great, okay, great.
0: <laughs> um, so you're at 25 million downloads today, what's stopping you from getting to 50 million downloads? Uh, time.
1: Can you elaborate? I'll do another 3,000 interviews and then I'll have 50 million downloads. And
0: what? (laughs) Uh, Seriously, it's it. Just just time.
1: time. I think people overcomplicate success sometimes. I mean, success really is about doing the same thing more consistently than anybody else for the longest period of time. Uh, I mean, if you look at the banking system in the US right now, like Chase is going to win because Jimmy Diamond does the same thing more consistently than anybody else. And if he's the last one standing, it's the last bank standing. but like that story though doesn't work if you raised a bunch of VC because your board meetings are all about grow faster, grow faster. They don't care if you're here in 10 years, they want to get the billion dollar exit tomorrow. So it's this weird sort of balancing act. Do you feel that? Forrest has raised a bunch, right? Do you feel that tension at all? Just like way, you feel it a little bit? Yeah,
0: yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit about the impact of the podcast and its ability to help you successfully grow your non-content business ventures like Foundapart?
1: Yeah. Um, so i try and practice what i preach so you guys saw me talk about cac arbitrage this morning on the stage um i just believe if you're launching a new company today you should build the distribution channels first so so pick a customer you really love i knew i loved founders i was a founder so i said let's build distribution around that which is why i did the podcast i didn't know founder path was going to be the thing that we launched from the podcast until maybe episode a thousand when founders kept asking me can you help me raise debt and i'm like oh Maybe we should go raise a debt fund and do debt. So that's how it all worked.
0: Looking back at, did you say a 1,000 episodes? That's how many you've done already? Uh, no, I've done th- over 3,300. Crazy. Looking back, are there any, would, would you do anything differently? Were there any mistakes that you made that you think kind of held you back from hitting those big download numbers um, that if you'd done differently, you would have got to quicker? I mean, I remember when I got
1: my first cease and desist, I made myself sick. It was the first time I'd ever seen something big and scary now it's like oh another season desists. uh <laughs> like you know i want a board behind me and just i'm just going to pin up all the seasons assist because no joke every season desist i get it is always the same thing it is some VC, some founder that's raised 200 million in vc their pr team said oh nathan's got a top 10 show let's get the founder on the fo- they, so they agree then the founder comes on the founder's not prepared. They've got no idea that I'm going to grill them for their numbers, but I do my juju and I get all the numbers out. Right. And then I get an email right after Nathan, you can't release that. And I said, no, no. You see where you signed at the bottom of the scheduling tool that says Nathan Latka owns the content after it's recorded. You know, it's completely R.I.P. blah, blah, blah. Right. I go, we're going to release it. And then it releases. And then I get the cease and desist from the board. The thing is, is a lot of these folks that have Raise that amount of money, they actually can't tell like a healthy story generally because their unit economics are all sideways because they just throw money at problems. And so, you know, it then makes them like look bad. But the problem is, is the audience loves when I do that. I like, I can feel the audience rooting for me when a cocky, Big founder with no revenue and a billion dollars raised comes on the show. They want me to destroy that founder. Every you guys probably want me to destroy that founder secretly, deep down. You might not admit it, but you want me to beat that founder up. I mean, that's just how it works.
0: That kind of mechanism of you know getting uh, that signature on that piece of paper where the IP becomes yours is that something that was always in place because you knew you were going to be asking these hard-hitting questions that were going to evoke these kind of answers, or was it something that came because you know you were you were forced to? Shell of an episode.
1: I, I added that after my first season desist
0: Yeah. And how do you, when you get these season dissists, what's what's the reaction? Is it just a blanket no, or do you enter into some sort of dialogue with those guests to try and come to a compromise?
1: It's never the get. The founder always wants the show to go live. The founder always loves it. It's the board. It's the it's always the board. The founder wants other founders to learn from them. The founders are generally open people that want to share. It's always the board. And when I get the big nasty email. I just take a screenshot of where they checked that I own the content and then I say, fuck off. And then I move on and then it's done. And you never hear from them again.
0: I was just gonna ask, So you've, you've never had any negative consequences then having published the episode after receiving a cease and desist.
1: Well, there are companies like Vox, which are owned primarily over 60% by KKR. And if you Google on your phones, Vox and my last name Latka, you will see a massive hit piece put out on me from three or basically saying I'm a scam artist, you know, whatever, maybe someday it's true, who knows. But uh, what, what happens is Vox put out this article, and it was basically three or four of these founders that told me to remove the episodes, went to Vox with this proof, and then Vox did this massive hit piece. Now, when the Vox reporter called me ahead of the hit piece going out saying, Do you want to comment? I said, Oh my gosh, I need to say something to make sure this thing goes live. I want the backlinks.
2: <laughs>
1: so I said, What can I tell this PR person that's going to make them like, really want to write about, really come hunt me? And I remember him calling me. And I go, listen, buddy, I don't know why you're wasting your time on this small town podcast. There's nothing to be seen here. There's absolutely no story. You're wasting your time. You know, I'm not, you know, I didn't answer any of his questions. And that is When, when someone's trying to cover something up to a reporter, that's exactly what they say. So that's what I wanted to say. So they would dig deeper, publish it. They published it. That article has driven the podcast more downloads than any other piece of marketing I've ever done. It was like the biggest gift I could have ever gotten. So it was
0: great. I can only imagine, uh, I think, totally it would take on me personally to see that kind of article written about myself in a publication like Vox, but it sounds like you you, know, you expected it. You wanted it.
1: I, my mom, I have released right around Christmas. I was in my pajamas at my mom's house, and she saw, and Nathan, she's like, what is this? Because the way it's worded, the, this is actually, Vox isn't that smart, but the subject, the title says, Nathan Laka is a best-selling author, uh, podcast host, and dot, 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 scam artist. Well, the dot, dot, dot in scam artist is after the 160th character. So in any metadata previews, it just says Nathan Black is a best-selling author (laughs) and has a top podcast, right? But my mom clicked the article, read it, and she's like, what's happening here? And then I showed her the cease and desist. And and really, it's just math too, right? When you do 3,000 episodes, if you have five people complain to the press out of 3,000 episodes, what is that? Somebody do the math. That's under a 0.3% sort of complaint rate. You're this guy that you're still very skeptical of this, aren't you? You're 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 rolling with me. Okay, cool, cool. Do you guys? By the way, if you have questions, raise your hand and we'll run mics around. Just jump in whenever you want.
0: Any questions from anybody?
1: Okay, nice. Keep going. Are we enjoying this so far? Just thumbs up or thumbs down. Okay, it's good. This is good. Let's keep going. Talk to me a little bit about the
0: friction between building your own personal brand and building the brand of your business and how those two interplay with one another. This is
1: really tough. This is really really tough. it's, okay so it's very hard to do right so i'll tell you what i did and you can take it or leave it or whatnot so founder paths founder path did do an equity round right we raised eight million on a 90 pre uh and this is nice see i can just tell our little secret group right here right no one else knows we raised eight million dollars on a 90 pre last october now we didn't raise that because we were going to throw it at marketing. We raised it because we needed that money to go raise 130 million from the bank. We had to part. It's called participation capital. So we need the participation capital to go raise the 130 million from a bank to then give out to bootstrap founders. Right? So all that money is still in the bank, right? We haven't spent it. Um, the reason I bring that up is before that $8 million round before that, we raised a seed round from one of my good friends, Pat Matthews. And he said, Nathan, you've got to sell the media business to FounderPath. You need to combine them. I remember going to bed. I'm going, how can I rationally convince Pat that I need to keep these as two separate companies? You never want to give up your Kingmaker ability, which is your media business, right? That's what it is. Forbes. It's Bloomberg. You don't want to give that up. You always want to keep it. So how can I do this? And I said, Pat, Gitlatka is all about data from founders. No founder will connect their data to FounderPath if they think I'm going to publish it in Gitlatka. So they must stay separate companies. It makes a lot of sense, and it's true. And so we kept them as separate companies. Um, and so Gitlatka, the podcast, all that's was run by a gentleman named Ilya. Did anyone ever use a company called Datanize back in the day? They sold to Zoom Info. You've heard of them? Did you like, up or down, did you like it? It was a good tool? So Ilya bootstrapped to 5 million revenue and sold it for 20 million to Zoom Info I tried to recruit him right when he sold it to run Gitlatka. He wanted to travel the world, so he did. But then I recruited him. So he's now leading as the CEO of Gitlatka. So he's doing all the technographic, firmographic data. The only thing I do in the media business is I record the interview with the founder, and then I hit end. Everything else is a system. All my time is with Danielle and Mandy and building founder Path.
0: But you don't just focus on the podcast. You've also got the magazine. You've got the events, SAS Open. You've got the book. You know, from the outside looking in, you are building out this mega media machine underneath your own personal brand, but it's also obviously assisting your your other business ventures. So kind of talk me through the relationship between these efforts, these kind of investments in media, and your long-term strategy for your businesses.
1: Yeah. Um, what I would say is, first off, you can't apply a blanket strategy to all this. Like, for example, um, have any of you guys heard of SaaS Open yet? It's okay if you have, not it's fairly new. Raise your hand if you have. No? Okay, that's okay. Danielle and Manny have, yeah. Um, we used to call it founder conf and it was all purple branded. It looked like a founder path user conference and nobody wanted to come sponsor our user conference or buy tickets to our user conference. So we rebranded it sasopen.com and our event, uh, our last event had 700 founders, 150 speakers, cleared almost $750,000 of revenue, right? Our, our events combined and SAS Open is now growing. So you won't see my face plaster all over sasopen. You won't even see founder path plaster on SAS Open because we know our strategy there is Switzerland. We want that to be Switzerland on purpose, right? Now, you also have to have a lot of guts to print off a nine-foot cutout of yourself and stick it in the middle of a convention floor. But you know what I say? If you're not going to market yourself, who is? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, if you're not going to market yourself, who is? And the thing is, is it creates the opening where people will come engage, and then I can basically help the founders meet with the right person on our team. So, again, there is no blanket rule, but Gitlatka, the podcast, the magazine, the book, that's all media brand. And then that all is why FounderPath doesn't have to spend any money on marketing and sales, right? Because it, it, the leads sort of can come right from there. And CAC arbitrage is huge. Is anyone here building a fintech company? Or in the fintech, okay. Raise your hand if you spend over, oh, you you guys sort of are over here. Wait, hold up your badge. Let me see your badge. Built, Built. okay, so is it billet? That sounds fintech-y. Yeah, you guys are probably valued at like a billion dollars. Maybe, close, almost, all right, yeah. How many, raise your hand if you spend over $1,000 on CAC? New customer, on average. No one wants to say, okay, that's a good, yeah, it happens, right? Yeah, it's just, in fintech, what kills most financial technology companies is they spend too much money acquiring com- companies. They can't get customers cheaply. So I knew that was something that we would need to have as an arbitrage play, a real moat, as Warren Buffett would describe it, to have success at FounderPath.
0: You're 3,000 plus episodes into this. You've got 25 million downloads under your belt. Um, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are... Uh, uh, they, they admire the journey you've been on before. They maybe want to emulate the journey that you've been on. Where do they get started? How do they get started? You've got to pick a customer
1: segment you really love and then build the media, comp- like build the media business inside of that first. So I, I don't know what each of you guys love. You all love something different. But just start with the customers that you want to work for for the next 10 years. And that's a really, really good place to start and then build the media business and then make sure that when you eventually launch the SaaS or the FinTech or whatever, keep the media business separate. Because the way I look at, the way I look at Gitlatka is as FounderPath launches additional kinds of businesses under it, Gitlatka can effectively play sort of kingmaker, right? We can, we can use our email list and the next book and the magazine to drive traffic into any SaaS company. So if I really want to get Forrest on the podcast, but they say no, I might say, well, I'll include you in my next best selling book. And they'll say, what do you mean? You're not a, be- like, I've already done it, so you can believe that I'll do it. I get you right. Or I'll put you on the podcast, or we'll send you out to our email list. Or- and so it allows us to add a lot of extra value very quickly. Let's, let's- can we force some audience
0: questions? In just a moment, I've got okay. one more question okay. for you. Though. You're a successful entrepreneur. You're an accomplished author. You're the host of one of the top SaaS podcasts out there. You're an accomplished and busy person. What's something that you could be better at? Well, I, I've purposely
1: given up sort of like like the whole like love, kids, marriage thing, right on purpose. I just turned 34. Um, five minutes, great. Just turned 34. Um, it's really hard to date when you're sort of traveling all the time. Uh, the end of our table last night at the Speaker's Dinner, though, we started getting into all kinds of interesting topics around marriage and polygamy and Burning Man and all of these interesting topics. So I'm probably pretty bad at that. Um, I'd also say I'm I'm like publicly a pretty transact People would describe me as a pretty transactional person. Like I'm not featuring you on our webinar unless you email your list as well. But then they meet me at something like this and it's like a big hug and I go, oh okay, like transactional Nathan. But okay, like they sort of like I feel like they knock on my forehead. They go, oh yeah, you're a real person. Let's hu- okay, yeah, this makes sense now. So I could be better on those things.
0: So if you want a free hug from Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can take one after this is finished up. So let's pull some questions.
2: Any questions from anybody? Okay, Gian,
1: okay, we got a question. Yeah, just, you want to do the mic, Jason?
2: Um, sorry, thanks very much. Your, your talk earlier was brilliant as ah, well. Ah, thank you. I can hear myself in my ears. It's freaking me out. <laughs> you, sound, uh, you sound great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you, you mentioned about uh, big companies being a bit afraid of podcasts and whatnot. But the truth is I'm a small person and I'm afraid of podcasts in the world of cancellation that we live in, and I'm not sure if you're following, but an Irish, an, an important Irish internet chap, Paddy, is being canceled at the moment, okay? Um, so why a normal, rational person stays away from the things that you do is because of that fear of, of, of putting yourself out there and being told you're a nasty person. And that's the internet for you. People are telling you you're a nasty person. But then you're, you're attaching that not just being told you're a nasty person, but also you're attaching it to your other businesses. Um, how, do you, how do you sleep at night? <laughs> Sorry, that's not a criticism. That's a, wow, it's awesome. How do you sleep at night? Drugs. <laughs> just kidding, no drugs.
1: Uh, you have, this is something you have to get comfortable with. Humans are generally, humans are generally very bad with uncertainty. So like, if, if you think you upset your spouse last night, you want to, like, resolve that before you go to bed we're bad with uncertainty, right? You always want to, like, sort of know what the next thing is, the plan, blah, blah, blah. So I'm very good at the uncertainty, right? You've got to train yourself out of that. Um, and secondly, uh, like, this is tricky because you used the Patty example, so I'm going to shift and use a different example because I think you should be being attacked right now, but it is what it is. Um, uh, you, you want to sort of state things that you believe in that, that, that you think the world doesn't realize yet because when people read your statement in their head, they're going to go, that's true, but I don't have the courage to say it. So to say it, I'm going to retweet you. Right? I mean, let me talk about, let me just talk about Trump really quick, right? Uh, because th- it's a little easier, right? Since he's 6,000 miles away. What Trump is so good at is saying what people want to hear. Uh, or sorry, saying a thing, one sentence, and three people with different views will hear uh, what they wanna hear. So like most people in the US, if they're unhappy for some reason, they want an excuse for their unhappiness. They don't want it to be because they did something bad. They're not working hard, they're not hustling. So when someone like Trump says it's this person's fault, or they might say something like, you know, I can't blame X country for doing Y thing. Well, the people that wanna believe it won't hear the can't part at the start. And the people that don't wanna believe it will hear the can't part at the start. So, like, the art of saying a thing and letting people hear what they want to hear, it's a lot of, like, NLP sort of stuff. But used the right way can be used to build a really big media brand and a really good SaaS company. I sleep very good, though, at night. I mean, my sleep score this morning was a 93. Any aura, any aura rings in the house? There we go, Mandy. No one else? Okay. Oh, we got whoops in the house and Apple Watches. All right, next question. Yuri, you got one up front? No. Gion? Gian? He, he's got one. Give him the mic. Gian's got a question. See, I told you.
2: I, I don't really have a question. Just a comment. Uh, I never listened to your podcast, but I'm probably going to start listening to it now. It works. Yeah, it works.
1: <laughs> you want to go, why is this guy sued? He's yeah. got like, a great comb over. He's oh. got a nice suit. too. Why is he being sued?
2: That doesn't matter. It <laughs> doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. We have time for one more? Okay, great. Any other questions? All right, Mandy's. Okay, back row. Let's do back row. Do both of you guys. Mine was going to be kind of quick. Um, it's basically around, you are the CEO of a company that is growing quickly. How do you do another 3000 episodes? I know that you said time was, you know, bandwidth is is a challenge. What do you recommend to people who are super busy in this audience that are founders? How do you
0: time block? I know you said you gave up love, marriage, children. So how do you, how do you manage it all?
1: Yeah. Um, I I still have a lot of love. It just, the love changes frequently. If you guys are picking up what I'm putting down, <laughs> don't tweet me. Don't quote me on that. Everyone without, without headphones are going, what the hell are these people laughing at? Uh, so uh, think about what I do for a second, right? The podcast interview is me learning and getting inside and understanding what a founder needs. Well, if FounderPath had an army of SDRs, what would those SDRs be doing? They'd probably be doing phone calls, trying to understand what a founder wants or needs to see if we can help them with capital. I am effectively what we've effectively done is I am an SDR at Founderpath, but the SDR is a media business. I know, by the way, the media business makes a lot of money, right, which is arbitrage. So the way I the way I do my podcast interviews is I will I will block two days per month and I will record from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. And I'll do between 20 and 30 episodes each of those days. So I'll do between 40 and 60 recordings each per month. And then, boom, I release them one per day. Uh, and that's why I've never missed. I always have a, I always have a backlog of 30 to 60 days. So if I get sick or if I just want to travel or something like that, I can always release them. Yeah.
0: Okay. One last one. Thank you. I'll be quick. Dale Shepherd, Trinity Hawk. Um, I am in week five of my solo founding career. Um, but it's a services business, so I don't have a product. Um, I am providing factional CRO and sales strategy support for startups. What one thing can I do that will make the most impact? I would I, some, create a
1: debate around what should be in Cogs and a PNL, right? So if you're doing fractional CFO services, what is something that everyone? Sorry, CRO, sales. oh, CRO, um, uh, but CRO, CROs, CROs, CROs are thinking about conversion rates, funnel, SDRs. What's something controversial in a CRO would say? Just think about something that maybe.
0: Well, one of the biggest things I've heard this week is the profitability versus growth debate. No, 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 but that's not, like that's what, like
1: too that's too vanilla. Everyone's talking about that. Like what's something you believe in related to the CRO function that other people would probably not believe in, but if they think about it more, they'll agree with you? Whatever that is, that's the thing.
0: Yeah, I, I've got it in my head. I don't whether I should say it out loud. Maybe, or maybe not.
1: you guys have some ideas, but like whatever that thing is, that's the thing. And just double down on that. Y- yeah, I don't, I'm making this up. Nonsense. You should never hire another SDR. Use outsourced sdr shops for the rest of time i mean i don't know yeah. something like that and then build a whole thing around it that's what i would do yeah thumbs up or thumbs down you guys learn something you have fun all right sweet i'll hang out at the booth if you guys want anything yes but thank you so much appreciate you guys being here jason thank you thank you nathan nathan Lacka, everybody you guys b to b better podcast by the way check out his show as well it's very good <laughs> <sighs>
0: And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you enjoyed the show, give it a rating, a review or a follow in your podcast directory of choice. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. See you next time.